You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 28, How the Columbine Shooting Changed Our Ministry. Jim Beckman and Tom McCabe worked at the Catholic parish closest to Columbine High School at the time of the shooting, and they were some of the first people on the scene after gunshots were reported to them by a parishioner who lived nearby. In this episode, they share their experience of that infamous day, and they reflect on how the Columbine event fundamentally changed their approach to ministry. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I feel like I say this quite a bit that I am really excited about the show today, but today I'm really excited about the show um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, our very own Tom McCabe is back with us. I've missed your brother. Welcome back. Thanks, Alan. It's uh, it's good to be back. Been traveling a bit and uh, had a lot of dreams about you, but uh, they weren't good. But I, I won't go into that Woke now. Woke up in a cold so sweat, I'm sure. Yeah. There's a support exactly. group, I think, that you can get a hold of and uh, sit in a <laughs> 12-step recovery process for that. <laughs> and um, today's topic is um, um, dear to my heart, and not as dear to the hearts of the guys we're going to talk to today, but um, back in 1999, I was volunteering for a parish, um, working with youth, and there was a tragic event at Columbine High School. Um, there was a school shooting. It was the first time, at least in my life, that I had heard of something like that happening. And I just couldn't believe it. I never really... Um, expected it or thought it was even really possible for that sort of thing to happen. And it sent me, I had been praying about possibly going into youth ministry full-time at the time and um, had every excuse under the sun. I know I've talked about this before briefly in the podcast and was kind of fighting that tooth and nail. And this was one of the things that kind of put me over the edge and sent me to um, to adoration and in prayer, praying to God that, you know, your teens are dying spiritually and, and literally physically. And we had had some suicides at, at some of the schools that I was working with and, um, just kind of dumbfounded in, in prayer and in adoration. And that's when I heard God, you know, ask me, you know, what are you doing about it? Kind of a thing. Um, not in a big booming voice, which would have been awesome, but just in the, the, the soft whisper, what are you, what are you doing about it? And kind of sent me, um, over the edge, I guess, and into ministry full time. Um, so joining us today, Tom was at the at the parish where a lot of the students at Columbine um, were going, as well as Jim Beckman, who is uh, was youth minister at the time and is some would say the father of youth ministry. Welcome to the show. Yeah, it's great, great to be here with you guys. So you have quite a uh, a long history of, uh, and I don't mean to say, I keep saying long history, and you're the father of, and make you sound like you're older than you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you have been in ministry a long time. And you know what you're doing. And um, rather than give your, your your bio, if you will, I'm going to let Tom, who uh, you guys go way back further than than um, than Tom and I do, obviously. So I'm just going to let Tom tell a little bit about your background, you know, your family life, and your ministry life, and how you guys came to be friends. And uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, uh, Jim and I have had the incredible honor of being able to work together and be colleagues and hold each other accountable, uh, a whole variety of things, and our families uh, as well. So um, I met uh, – the first time I met Jim was uh, in Steubenville, probably in 1992 or 93 at one of the youth conferences that he was running. But um, after I went uh, finished studying at Steubenville, I was working at a parish out in Colorado uh, called St. Francis Cabrini. And um, I decided to take a job at the Archdiocese as the director of Youth Young Adult and Campus Ministries. And 
I promised the pastor I would get the best person possible to take over youth ministry at this parish. And this was a he, he was a, re, a remarkable uh, priest. Father Ken Leone is his name. And as a great lover of people, and I said, Father, we're going to get you somebody really good. I found out that Jim was in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana at the time, starting a television station. Jim, is that right? Or yeah. a Catholic television station? Yeah. And um, I, I had reached out to him and just said, listen, this parish is really remarkable. And uh, um, uh, this pastor has incredible vision. I, I really think this is something you need to come out here and look at and, and consider uh, given the fact that the, the number of things that you want to do in youth ministry, you could really build something here. And um, I, why he said yes, I have no idea why you said yes, Jim, but I'm hoping I sold it a little bit. But uh, <laughs> he came out uh, to interview and took this position at this uh, parish and really built um, St. Francis Cabrini into a real, uh, the youth ministry into a mega program uh, over the next many, many years. I don't know if it, well, how many it was, Jim, to seven, yeah, ten, seven ten years, years. Ten years. Years yeah, well, I ended up going back to the parish a few years later as the director of Youth, Young, Adult, and Campus Ministry, and uh, so it was a tremendous uh, blessing to work uh, with Jim in, on a variety of levels there. Uh, but to give you a quick kind of the the, um, the Sparks Notes version of uh, a lot of what Jim's been doing the last few years, uh, he just took a new position. I mean, you're brand spanking new down there as the in the, the Archdiocese of Oklahoma as the executive director of evangelization and catechetics, right? How long have you been down there, Jim? I'm just two weeks into this new job. So we just, we just moved here over the summer. So brand, brand new. That's, that's great. Uh, Denver's loss. That's for sure. Um, prior to that, you were a professor at the Augustine Institute for seven years. Uh, you were also working with the office of lay formation at the Archdiocese of Denver and a, a ministry that I think a lot of people, those in ministry probably know about is the impact ministries that you've, uh, started the Impact Center, and you have an institute that uh, hopefully we'll have some time to talk about that as well. Um, probably your greatest claim to fame is that you landed Meg, your wife. That's just a remarkable woman. Uh, so how many children now, Jim? We, we have five now, yeah. That's fantastic. Ten, ten to 21. Wow, that's fantastic. What did I miss, uh, Jim, in the uh, everything that you've done in the last few years? Well, I, I actually, as you're talking, I'm just thinking back to our our connections. One of the other interesting things that happened during that time, when I lived in Alexandria, it was my first year away from Steubenville. And uh, so I, I called Steubenville and suggested they should think about doing a conference down there. We could call it Steubenville South. Uh, a year and a half later, I lost my job trying to get that television project off the ground. Uh, just lack of funding. You invited me to come to Denver my first six, eight months there, I started talking to you. Yes. Hey, we should do another one. Let's call it Steubenville of the Rockies. Those were the first two kind of regional Steubenville conferences, if yeah. you will. And I, and, and I just happened to live in both places and could kind of help uh, be the boots on the ground to help it get it going. And um, That's right. It's, it's kind of amazing. Now, this past summer, they had uh, conferences in 24 different locations, 54,000 wow. teenagers, something like that. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just kind of amazing to look back and see how we, we were we were all a part of all of that happening, you know, as it was being birthed. You know, there's like 24 different regional locations now. So I always wanted to have Steubenville on the catamaran <laughs> in in the Virgin Islands. And yeah. They never went for that Tom, one. St. I keep Thomas. hoping <laughs> I'll host that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Jim, I know your time is uh, limited today. Uh, what we've come to talk about is. Um, 
the Columbine shooting, really, and our uh, involvement uh, in that. Not that we were part of the shooting, but our, our uh, remote involvement and in how we were uh, impacted. Uh, but so for our listeners, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to um, share a little bit about the event, uh, the, the basic facts, so we can bring everybody up onto the same page. And basically, it was on, on April 20th of 1999 at approximately about 11.20 a.m. or so, there were two teens, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who were dressed in trench coats, and they went on a shooting spree. Uh, they began shooting fellow students outside of Columbine High School, which is in Littleton, Colorado, uh, which is a suburb of, of South Denver. So these two guys then moved inside the school where they gunned down many of their victims in the library before they ended up shooting themselves at the end of it. Uh, at, you know, In the final analysis, there were 13 people killed, 20 more who were wounded. Um, I know this will come out later. Jim, you know, we ended up burying four teens at the parish, kids that were in the youth group that were, you know, critically injured. Um, uh, so uh, just the, the trauma that everybody dealt with, uh, our whole community, um, even us in a, in, a, in a kind of more of a remote sense. Um, so uh, I would love just to be able to sit down and let's kind of kind of slow, quickly sort of recap what happened, but then more slowly discuss how do we do ministry differently? What can everybody take from uh, learning? What can we learn from this event that should help us to shape how we do ministry today? So on that note, uh, I'll just throw it back over to you, Alan. Yeah, sounds good. Let's just take a quick break and, and we'll be right back. The Bible is such an important part of our Catholic faith, but it's not always easy to understand. There are 73 separate books and so many names, places, and events that sometimes we just stop trying to figure out how it all fits together. The good news is, the Great Adventure Bible Studies make it easy for you to understand the Bible. By focusing on the story that ties all of Scripture together, the Great Adventure Bible Studies give you the big picture of the Bible. And once you see the big picture of salvation history, the Mass will make more sense, the Catholic faith will make more sense, and you will see how God has a loving plan for your life. The Great Adventure Bible Studies have helped hundreds of thousands of people to understand the Bible and grow closer to Christ. There's no other Catholic Bible study series like it, and you can get started on The Great Adventure today by creating your free account at ascensionpress.com. All right, so we're back with Tom McCabe and Jim Beckman talking about uh, the Columbine shooting back in 1999. Um, a tra tragic event, to be sure. Um, I remember watching on the, the morning show uh, a few days after the shooting, and one of the mothers of the victims was was uh, forgiving the students who did the shooting on TV, on air. And it was just a huge, powerful moment um, for me to witness somebody doing that um, that kind of act of, of selflessness and forgiveness. Um, and to see her do it on air and through tears was um, so powerful um, for me. And dealing with some things I was dealing with in my life and thinking, if this mother can do this, then I can let go of and get rid of and forgive some of the things going on in my life um, should be a piece of cake. So I've been looking forward to hearing you guys um, walk through this for, for a really long time. So um, Tom, why don't you um, yeah. take us through the day if you can? You bet. Well, and I'm going to really pass it over to Jim. So to, just to kind of give the intro. So Jim, you and I were working at the time at St. Francis Cabrini Parish, right? Right. Uh, you as the director of youth ministry, me as the director of uh, faith and family life. And if I recall correctly, you got a call uh, from a mother uh, uh, as as it was going on, 
um, and uh, and you came up to the front to the front offices because you were in the back of the uh, another part of the church, and you came up to the front offices, and I remember you just coming to my door, uh, just like, wow, I can't believe this, and you just began to tell me about it. Right. Yeah, we were, uh, w- one of the memories that just still, still all these years later still stands in my mind, we, we were working on a bunch of care packages that day to go out to our college students, kind of end of the year prep stuff for final exams and things, and I, my printer cartridge, um, the printer on my desk ran out of ink, and I had opened the lid and was going to the closet to get another printer cartridge. And uh, that's when the phone call came from that mother. And, you know, then I, I ran up, talked to Tom. We ended up getting in cars and driving up to the school. Well, hours later, I, I came back into my office late, later that night around 9, nine o'clock. And there was, the, there was the lid to my printer open. And it, it, it was just like this, uh, you know, this uh, like uh, one of those things that just kind of stuck in time for me, you know. But um, the, when, when the mom called, she said that she was hearing, she could hear gunshots, she could hear glass. She says something, something terrible is happening. That, that phone call, I think, allowed uh, us to get up into the perimeter of the school before the police shut all the roads off. And uh, that, that, so my, the, the rest of my day was um, just being up there in the neighborhood streets across the street from the school. Uh, and, and eventually we, we had another volunteer with the youth ministry that was a, a Denver police officer. And I, I ended up running into him and he had, he had a, a police cruiser. And so then he started taking me around in his car. Uh, we, we went over to a couple of the sites where they were holding students where parents could find their kids. And um, so it was just this kind of surreal experience of, you know, like you, you could, you could go across the street from the school and walk down the neighborhood street and every driveway was was like a it was like a war triage. zone. It yeah, was. Like there, it was like a triage center set up on people's driveways, and people were running outside with gauze bandages and uh, and you know th- things to help kids and kids bleeding everywhere. And uh, it, it was just like, what is happening? Um, and at a certain point, like I, I I was struggling with what what do I do here and how how, how do you help? And what we started realizing pretty quickly was most of the parents couldn't get anywhere near the school because the the police had shut off all of the streets, you know, all all around. And and then you, you, you started to realize like I'm inside that perimeter and parents are desperately trying to find out if, uh, if their kids are okay. And so that, that I think became one of the things that we started doing is we, we, every time we would find a kid, we would call the parish and tell them to check that name off on their, uh, on the list, uh, I, I had the, the the ladies back at the church looking for who who all did we have as students at Columbine, and it was over 200 kids. Uh, and and I think this is you know th- this was one of the things that that's a big part of what we're talking about today is like how, how did this change us? You know, I, I can't I, I couldn't believe how many of those names I didn't know those kids. There, there's there's all these names they're on our database, they're registered at our parish. Uh, and I, I didn't even know who they were. And um, so that, that, that just became kind of the activity of the day is finding kids from our parish that were students there, relaying the message back to the parish that, they, that we had seen them, they were okay. And we started getting the word out to all of the parents. They started having people at the parish who were calling all of the parents and telling them, uh, you know, Jim or Tom, have found, they found your kid, they're okay. Um, 
And, and I, I think that was actually an, an amazing ministry that day. It was just to help people mm-hmm. reconnect with uh, with their with their children. You know? Yeah, Jim, I, I recall that as well. Like I, I first, my first reaction was, "What? I wasn't trained for this. What do you do? You're in that moment." I remember walking by driveways and seeing kids, really, I mean, sitting in blood, uh, other kids in shock, uh, connecting with other kids who were in somebody's basement, huddled together, five, ten kids, not knowing what what to do. And, um, yeah, just the, 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 just the, everybody was in a state of shock and um, trying to find some simple way to help and feeling helpless. I think that was one of my big feelings of just, uh, and then I realized I just got to be, I have to just, whatever I can do, whether it's this kid in front of me or a mom or whoever, just uh, listen and comfort um, uh, to do what we can. Um, talk for a minute, um, Jim, about what was, so what was going on maybe at the parish? What was going on in your mind those hours afterwards into the next few days? Uh, and I, I'll just share a couple of things. I remember our ministry changed. My hours changed quite quickly uh, from a nine to five to, uh, well, you start at nine, but uh, you're there at 10, 12, one o'clock at night because we ended up opening up the church, right? The entire sanctuary open, expo- exposing the uh, Blessed Sacrament and just seeing different families, people we'd never seen before coming into the church and just sitting and crying and weeping and wanting to talk to somebody um, nobody knew what to do. It was surreal. And so one of the best things we could do is just have a ministry of presence, right? Just uh, just stand there or sit there or pray there or cry there with them. Uh, just just being. That was one of the things that I, I recall in the next few days. Yeah, well, I, I think for me, one of the interesting things that was a part of all this that was so providential, it was just such a only God could have orchestrated. We We had a volunteer... That was working with the junior high ministry. She had two two of her children that were involved, and she volunteered for a while. But she she came to me. You know, this is probably it was in the fall before the shooting happened, so it was, it was very very early fall. And she had been a part of the core team the whole year before that. And she basically was sharing how she just wasn't comfortable doing youth ministry. She's like, it's just not uh, not what my gifts are. And uh, I, you know, I, I was just trying to be a good uh, steward. Uh, and, you know, there was lots of things that we needed help with. And so I was trying to find out, well, what what are your gifts? What are your talents? What are you, what are you good at? And um, she she said, well, I'm a, I'm a contingency officer like that. That's what I do for the company that I work for. Like I I manage uh, tragic circumstances and, uh, you know, hazardous events. And uh, so I, I said, well, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. Uh, uh, and so she she literally said, "Well, like, what if what if somebody ever bombed the parish?" Uh, and I just looked at her like, well, "Wow, well, why would you ever think of something like that?" First of all, uh, she's like, "Well, that she goes, this is what I get paid to do. This is my full time job." And so it, it ended up being kind of this humorous conversation at the time, you know, to say. So I, I basically just set her loose, like, "Look, uh, think think of whatever you know hazardous things could happen at our church, and you come up with a plan." I, so I just kind of freed her up to do what she thought, felt she was very good at and how she could contribute. And so she had come up with this whole outline of all of these things to do if so, something hazardous happened at, at the church, like a tornado or a or a bombing or whatever, you know, she, um, 
I guess people like that are trained to think differently than what most of us think, you know. But she had a media plan. She had how to deal with food. She even she even had some housing things that she had pulled together. I mean, she had this very detailed, you know, like 12 page document that was like a manifest uh, to navigate exactly what was happening that day. And uh, when when the shooting happened, she was she's one of the phone calls. I said, I think we need to put that plan into motion. And so what Tom's talking about, we, we literally opened up the parish and, and became a round-the-clock community center. And we, we, we had hundreds of people that we were feeding meals to three times a day for almost two full weeks. Uh, we, we had mass and morning prayer and midday prayer and uh, evening prayer and serving meals and, uh, you know, evening prayer sessions and adoration. And there, there was just stuff going on round-the-clock there for, for a good two or three weeks. And, and it, it was all set up six months ahead of time. Uh, by by this by this woman who had had created the plan that if anything ever happened like this, uh, you know, so only God could have orchestrated that. You know, that's a great point. We've been talking on the podcast about how people have various gifts, and we want to plug them in and allow them to use their particular gifts at the parish. Um, can you talk a little a little bit about that and how you help people kind of discern that process and figure out what it is that they are um, have been gifted with? Oh yeah, well I, I mean I. I think that one of the great poverties in the church right now is we actually don't really empower people to contribute. We we have a culture of volunteerism in the in the church, and so we we and and professionalism, right? So you you hire staff, and staff are the experts, and they create the programs, and then they get people to volunteer to be worker bees. And no one's ever really fulfilled being a worker bee. Uh, they they don't they're they're not really contributing in a way that they're you know, springing from their passions and their desires and, and what they see as their skills. Um, and, and I think it's a recipe for disaster, frankly. Uh, what, what's going to ensure sustainability and longevity in the church is finding ways to empower and equip more and more and more people to spring forth from what their passions and their gifts are to make a real valuable contribution to to what's happening. Uh and the reality is we actually need it. There's so much work to be done, so many people to reach, and and so so many things that we we could do, everything from evangelization to social justice. We we need more people. Uh, but but we actually shoot ourselves in the foot by constantly uh, – it, it's almost like we get threatened when people come and they have something tangible that they would like to give. As a staff member, I think, I'm so busy, I can't even keep my head straight – I can't handle one more program. Like, no, you can't do that. Why don't you volunteer in this ministry instead? Here, I've got this little Bible study group, and I need somebody to do that. Can you do that? Well, no, I don't really. That's not really what I feel like my calling is. Like, well, then I guess I don't really have anything that you can do. Like, this is what's happening in parishes all over the country. And I, you know, I, I think the example of what happened with that lady in, in our parish all those years ago is a great example of if you just trust the Holy Spirit. And, and, and you allow people to come and bring what they feel like they have to offer. Uh, yes, sometimes we have to do some training and teaching around, because I, I, I think a lot of people don't even know what their gifts are. You know, so they, 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 there's, there's lots of tools out there. Uh, every, Sher, Sherry Waddell's Catherine of Siena Institute has, you know, the called and gifted program. And there's, there's strength finders uh, I've, I've used quite a bit. Uh, Youth with a Mission has a great program that I've started hearing more about recently uh, that 
that that we're starting to use here in Oklahoma City. So there, there's great tools out there that I think can facilitate these these kinds of things. Um, but I, I, I think it's uh, it, it's 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 beholden to us to help make that happen. Well, I'm going to start praying that somebody comes to me and just says, you know, I, I just want to have a plan for five million dollars that in case it comes into my lap at your lap, Tom. And I think so. And I'll just think, you know, please get that plan together for me. You're, you're thinking way too small. I've, I've already developed a plan for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> that's true. I am too small. Oh, uh, that Jim, that's a. Uh, that's a very, very um, good point, and that's almost worth a worthy of an entire podcast, even just to talk through that. Utilize maybe that's something for us to consider. Utilize how do how do we how do we tap into each person and, and oh, ex, uh, broaden our our horizons into what's possible, right? So, Jim, I, I remember it was probably two weeks after three, maybe three weeks after I was standing on the curb of St. Francis Cabrini. Uh, I had just learned that one of the shooters uh, of the Columbine shooting, uh, Dylan Klebold, lived quite close to the parish. That uh, I went out to the curb and uh, they pointed it out and I stood there for probably 10 minutes just looking over there and I could see the roof. I could have probably hit Dylan's house with a rock, right? It was it was in the cul-de-sac across the street that came around and I thought, my goodness, similar to what you were saying, that you know, there's all these kids in our youth group or, or in, in our per, parishioners, or they're registered and we don't know them. This young man was so close to our periphery, to our world in one sense. Maybe he came by and maybe we didn't welcome him. Maybe we didn't find a place for him. Who knows what? I don't want to put all that on me or any of us saying we didn't follow through with our job, but I, it did strike me. Like, my goodness, he was this close to our church. Is there anything that we could have done to to have halted that, to have impacted this young man's life? Who knows what? And so I know from myself at that time, one of the, one of the things that I learned personally from this entire experience was the person in front of me. How am I going to be present to the person in front of me? Not so much how am I going to get my agenda. Let me make sure this person knows the 12 you know, doctrines of the creed. But who is this person? Really, who are they? And do they know they are they are loved? Do they do they know that I want to be their friend? Do they know that I care about what their thoughts, their feelings? Um, so really, starting with the human person and then moving them to the person of Jesus Christ was one of the. Not that I didn't know this ahead of time, but it really came home to me. I think especially that day when I was looking at Dylan's the roof of his house, which was so close to our parish. Were there things that? From that, that you, maybe you learned that uh, you you do differently now in ministry in light of the experience, or that you personally learned. Yeah, I mean, I think very similar. I think one of the one of the experiences that I had very similar to you was when the pictures of the shooters were shown, which I think was just the next day. The first thought that I had was I recognized Dylan as the pizza delivery boy who had delivered pizza numerous times to to us at the parish when we ordered pizza for youth group events. Uh, and, you know, and then later that was validated when, when they started, you know, saying more of the things they talked about, how he worked at Blackjack Pizza. And, um, you know, so and again, like I, I know you don't want to take on false responsibility, you know, like we should have evangelized the pizza delivery boy. You know? um, but we but, should have evangelized <laughs> the pizza delivery boy. <laughs> but, but we should we should have been, we should have I, I don't I didn't even know his name. 
you, you know what I'm saying? Like he was a teenager just delivering pizzas, but I, I never thought to, to say, hey, what's your name? Uh, you, should, you should come sometime when you're not delivering pizza and just visit the youth group. We'd love to have you sometime. I, I, I never even extended an invitation, you know. Um, when, when I, the, the day of the shooting, when I got back to my office at like nine o'clock that night, there were still dozens of names of kids that we had never been able to cross, on our, cross off on our list. Uh, I was going around to all the sites where they, they were coordinating, checking in kids with trying to get kids reconnected with their parents. And, and at the end of the day, like I, I there, there was a number of kids that we hadn't we hadn't found at least where we could record on our list. So I sat down and started calling homes and checking with parents to make sure that their kids made it home. And that's when I found out that Daniel Mauser never, never made it. I remember calling his dad that night and 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 he, he he just said no Danny has not come home and that was a heartbreaking moment because you knew what it meant you know and and what struck me was how many people I called on that list and I didn't know who they were I didn't know if they'd ever been invited to anything that we did and I I just I just made a decision that day like that's not going to happen again uh I I I couldn't be in relationship with 200 kids but I knew I could be in relationship with enough adults that we could be in relationship with 200 kids. And we just made a concerted effort over the next couple of years. Every single kid in our parish, we were going to know who they were. We were going to make sure that they were invited to something. Uh, and if they chose not to come, that was their choice. But we were going to call them. We were going to extend a personal invitation. We we're going to know them by name. And we we're going to know their face. We we're going to be able to recognize them. Uh, you know, so it, it became a, a little bit of a, a grueling exercise, you know, to get pictures and to look at yearbooks and to use whatever tools we could to. And and that was just trying to get the kids that were registered at the parish. We we found out that it became a much bigger project when you started going beyond uh, to friends of the kids who were coming to our parish. Uh, and the, and the ministry, as, as you know, the ministry grew tremendously over the next two or three years Uh to times where we, we had 350, 400 kids coming every Sunday night. And, and I'm convinced it was all because we just started paying attention to who the people were. We, we, we weren't just trying to run a program and run a ministry. We, we were making a personal connection and, and personal invitations and inviting kids to be a part of what we were doing. Wow, I'm just speechless i mean i was i was imagining most putting myself in your in your shoes um having to make that phone call to um parents and finding out that their their kids weren't home i've made um some difficult phone calls but man when i was um trying to put myself in that in place um to do that i just i'm just speechless i think um like what you guys said about the idea of being present um is so important because you just i guess i wouldn't know what to say at all just kind of want to know let them know i guess that i'm trying to empathize with them as, as best I can and, and that I'm here and want to, you know, indeed walk with them in, in whatever capacity I can. Um, so can you guys talk about, uh, what you, uh, what you took away from, uh, that experience? I know you talked about some, how your ministry changed and focusing on the person and, um, but what did you guys as individuals kind of take away from that, um, that event, that experience? Sure. Uh, before you jump in, Jim, I'll probably just build on what you said about the youth ministry growing, because I think from that experience, uh, the, the entire parish, all of us, all of the staff really focused on um, being present to the people and how do we multiply our efforts. Uh, I mean, I, uh, so we're talking a lot about youth ministry, but I think it can also apply to 
every ministry in the parish, finding um, what people are, are, are good at, what their passions are, and finding a place for them. I remember like we, we ended up doing for, for kind of remarkable for, compared, for a lot of parishes that we ended up having really over 120, then 130, 140 people in Christian initiation, whether it was RCIA, RCIC, RCIT, each year. Um, but part of it was creating a family environment, whether they're going through RCIA. And so we had a large group of uh, volunteers who helped us where we would give them a meal. And then they had a small group time before we went into uh, prayer. Then we had, we had our um, catechesis, but we ended with a, a moment of evangelization. And like there was a whole experience that we're taking people through, which was we tried to have it make a, a real familial experience. And we definitely could not have done that had we not had a large team of people to help us. And it was a deliberate thing. And many people said, oh, I'm not good talking with people. Well, no problem. You can help with the food or you can help, you know, take care of outside traffic or welcome, be, at, be at, at the door, welcome people as they come on in. And we tried to find a place for everybody that, where they felt they were gifted, right? Um, and trying to create this place, a home, and not, you know, not, the church isn't just a house of some kind. Really, it's, it's, it's home for you. It's familial. Uh, and so we tried to do that in marriage preparation as well. Uh, uh, so we had a first fives program. After they go through marriage preparation, they're in a small community for five years, right? And so we tried th – those were the things that I noticed, building on what you said, Jim, how uh, we tried to find a place for everybody in our ministries. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the, the strongest thing for me was just getting to know the people and uh, being a source of invitation. Uh, we, we spent the rest of the spring uh, – they, they ended up moving all of the kids from Columbine High School – over to Chatfield High School for the rest of the school year, and they did a split schedule between the two schools. And um, I, I remember going over there every single day with a with a handful of volunteers at the changeover time. And we were we would greet all the Chatfield kids as they were leaving, and we would greet all the Columbine students as they were coming in. And uh, remember those T-shirts we made? We we printed up thousands of T-shirts that had this message that kind of became the the rally cry. We, we survived, we will prevail, we have hope to carry on. Uh, and th that just became a little bit of the rally cry during that time that kind of brought us all together in a little bit of that, you know, uh, a little bit as that family, I think. And we, we gave those shirts to all of the, all of the students one day standing out there on the, on the curb. And um, so that, that, that was one big thing that I think made a huge impression on me is just meeting the people, being personal, but really, really striving to get to know them. And and I think realizing that there was way more that I could do that myself, and uh, I, I needed an army of volunteers if we were ever going to hope to be effective at, at reaching as many young people as we had. And so it just became a huge thing over the next several years of creating more and more of those kinds of volunteer op opportunities and spaces where people could make a contribution. I, th I think one of the other big things for me was, uh, like I, I would say one of the takeaways that's just lasted with me all of these years is live with no regrets. Uh, say, say the things that you want to say right now because you may not have another opportunity, you know, um, and don't don't leave relationships in, in a way like, well, you know, we'll we'll settle that later. Or we'll resolve that later. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's a completely healthy response <laughs> because I, I I do find myself like I, I I just remember so many conversations with kids and and with parents 
where they, they had a fight with their kid that morning as they were leaving for school and then their kid got killed. Uh, and the, you know, just the tragic uh, guilt that, that they were deal, trying to deal with that, the, that their, their last their last conversation was this heated conflict. And then they never got a chance to resolve that, never, never got a chance to work it out. And um, so I'm kind of hyper vigilant about that with my own children and in my own family and with people that I'm close with. Uh, I, I, I try to I try to say things that that I think about people when I'm with them. Uh, and, you know, somebody asks you, hey, you know, would you pray for me? Uh, I don't say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you and then walk away because most of the time I forget. I just say, let's pray right now. Uh, I, I just, I just have that. That's probably been the biggest culture change for me. Is it, it really did change a lot of my thinking too. I need to be in the present moment right now, and I need to live in this present moment. Where if something happened, I wouldn't regret something that I did or didn't do. Uh, so live, live with no regrets. You know, uh, I know our time is beginning to wane here, Jim, and. You know, we we can talk about, oh, yeah, the successes that came from the ministry, and you know, we started doing this differently, and this is great. and But it doesn't always turn out, right? In other words, we have people out there where they're trying to do some good work, and uh, the people don't respond, or they react in some way. And th- there is that prayer of Mother Teresa's, and I won't read the whole thing, but, you know, it, it's like people are unreasonable in, uh, with you. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, there may be people who have ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. And, you know, she goes through all these scenarios. Well, we could say that about this event. I'm sure in, uh, in going through this event that it wasn't always – it was difficult. And I'm sure you had some challenging times and it, there weren't always successes. What would you say to, to those people where uh, they're trying to do what's right? They're trying to, to do what's good um, and yet their um, their efforts do not seem like they're – uh, they're being well received, or there's any fruit from it. Yeah, we, I mean, de- definitely had experiences like that. There's a, a, a number of people that we we really tried to love and walk with and serve, uh, and you, you, we we just didn't do it in, in a way that they needed for whatever reason. Uh, and the, the the response over time has been a lot of anger, and uh, and and you know that's that sometimes has been pretty vehement. Um, but kind of, kind of like you're saying with Mother Teresa's thing, it's a, it's that that's a great way of saying it. You know, when God God's calling us to love people, which requires risk on our part, and there's nothing harder than loving somebody who's hurt, uh, because somebody who's hurt and is wounded, love is is like a medicine uh, that when it's first applied is painful, uh, and you frequently will get a reaction out of them that is very hurtful, and you, you just have to put yourself in a posture of like Jesus is loving this person through me. So whatever they do back to me, I'm I'm just I'm letting Jesus love them through me. And uh, if Jesus doesn't react, then I shouldn't react either. So I almost have to get myself out of the way and just let the Lord do what He wants to do through me. Uh, that that's that was the only way that I could kind of get my head around what was happening during that time and and subsequently is. Uh, because you do, you have you have a lot of experiences where you you try to do what you feel like the Lord's calling you to do, and and everything backfires on you and uh, and turns into a, an unraveling mess, and you're, you're just left like what the heck? Um, and I, I I think that's when we got to go back to God in prayer, right? Like n- nobody in the world can identify with that more than Jesus. You know, he was trying to love the world and they killed him. You know, <laughs> uh, 
he, he can relate with the pain and, and the certain suffering that comes from trying to love somebody and, and the reaction that you get is not what, what you're wanting, not, not the receptive response. And, and I, I think he loves us in the midst of that suffering and that, that pain and empowers us to go do it again uh, without looking for reward, without looking for receptivity, without looking for any kudos. We're, we're just doing it because he's call, that's what he's calling us to do. You know? I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And I, I'm sure you probably have a couple of things you want to say, too, on that, Alan. But I, I, I just I'm glad you shared that because I think that it kind of just bring this whole full circle, not to leave on a, a downer note, but we're basically saying, yeah, we, you know, if we're responding, we're, we're going to have great impact. We're going to be able to help people. We, 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 but it's always a challenge. This is this is the nature of ministry. Right. And this is why we do these podcasts for people to start to talk about the real issues that you may not always be accepted. You may be rejected. You may be hated. Um, yet this is what. Christ promised us to do it anyway. You know, where sin abounds, grace does abound all the more. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I hope for our listeners out there that are, um, that are struggling or, or thinking they're, they're not making a difference or, or it's tough or they're getting rejected or, you know, I think we, we try to say that often on the podcast, but this is just, um, such a good reminder as to why we can't stop doing what we're doing just because, um, it doesn't feel good or because we're getting rejected or because there's pain involved or we think we're not making a difference. Like we just got to keep on plugging along because like you said, it's not, it's not about us. It's about Christ working through us and just putting ourselves in those places mm-hmm. to let him, um, kind of do his thing and just get out of his way. Anything you guys want to, um, we are kind of running short on time. Anything you want to kind of close up with before we and leave our, leave our listeners with before we, um, close out the podcast jim i I just uh, so many things that were shared here and i mean just i i I look forward to the day and we can have jim on again i'd love to come back it was it was a great conversation it it seemed like there was numerous points in the conversation where it opened up a whole nother doorway of a a different conversation that we could have uh, but just don't have time to go there today so absolutely well if you're game we're definitely game to have you back on again that'd be that'd be awesome awesome we'd love it yeah yeah thank you so much for your for your time today. Um, I know you're a busy Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Great being with you guys. Before we go real quick, Jim, we had, uh, the directors of the two new directors of, um, youth and young adult ministry on our show here when they were just moved to town and started, they, they went through a brand new rebranding called and they calling themselves Anthem and they went through your impact, uh, leadership. Oh yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Cause I think that's could, uh, benefit a lot of our listeners out there who might be interested in something like that. If you could just kind of give a quick little plug about it, sure. that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, so I, I noticed a gap in the church uh, a number of years ago. So I, I started a leadership institute a few years ago, but I'm, I basically I'm looking at a number of areas of practical skill that I think people really struggle in. Uh, and th- so the leadership institute is walking through those those eight areas and is teaching the the, the practical pastoral skills to be effective in you know everything from teaching people how to pray with relational prayer to understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those need to come to bear in active ministry to understanding leadership topics like dysfunction in a team like Pat Lencioni talks about. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty broad, but uh, I've identified eight areas of, you know, eight areas like that, that the, the leadership institute kind of walks somebody through all of those eight areas and teaches the pastoral skills to be effective on the ground level. So there, there's there's more information about it on the website so where my, my website is impactcenter.com so they, they could find more information about the Leadership Institute there. So 
All right, impactcenter.com. Thank, thank you very much. Yes. All right. Well, I'm gonna, um, looking forward to going home and hugging my family <laughs> tonight, calling all my loved ones and telling them that I love them. Um, yes. Amen. Amen. So keep doing what you're doing for all of our, well, you guys too, keep doing what you're doing. You're doing good work too. Um, and for all our listeners, keep doing what you're doing, whether you, um, feel it or not, God is working through you. Just get out of his way. Know that we're praying for you. Please pray for us. And if you haven't taken our survey, uh, please go online and do that at ascensionpresents.com slash AR. And you can find a survey, um, to let us know, uh, we're trying to figure out who our listeners are and get a better grasp on who exactly is listening so we can kind of tailor our podcast, um, to you. So if you have a minute, please go online. It takes about two minutes to, to fill that out, I believe. And uh, if you want to leave us a comment, you can do so at Ascension Roundtable at AscensionPress.com. We'll see you next time. It's been a pleasure, fellas. And, yeah, uh, great, being, great being with you. All right. See you guys later. Peace. Peace.